Hi, everyone. Today, I am here with the incredible Belinda Matwali, who I have connected with over Instagram. We've shot messages back and forth, and I've always thought that her um, content is always very spot on and also, I'd say, contemporary. And also, it sort of cuts through a lot of the fluff, fluff, fluff that we find on Instagram in terms of like spirituality and what it means and what it doesn't mean and so on and so forth. So I've always um, found it really, really useful. I think before I head in any further, Belinda, I'd just let you introduce yourself. Like, what do you do? Who are you? How did you get into this space? Yeah, I think thanks for having me on tour. And yeah, I love that uh, Instagram and social media, we can share ideas and connect and find like-minded people. And um I guess like, you know, job title in terms of describing is kind of like a, a mentor, a spiritual mentor, because it's often about helping people connect to their their intuition and their inner navigation. I'm sure your audience are all over the word spiritual and all the woo-woo things, but uh, sometimes, you know, I, I say to people, you know, even if you're not spiritual, you want to connect in with your intuition and want to know where you're going. And, and that's kind of what I do. Um, I do that through meditation and spiritual psychology, um, also through the lens of trauma-informed psychotherapy. I've trained uh, with Dr. Gabor Mate, so I think that's really, really important. Um, you know, we don't do spiritual bypassing around here. We like to get to the root core of things. And I also do weave in a bit of astrology and human design. So I also I, I kind of like playing with the term astro informed for some of the mentoring because I, I do like to look at people's personal transits because often it says a lot about not only their psychology, but what lessons life is asking of them right now. And I think, you know, that's what we're always here for for spiritual mentoring it's like what is life asking me I need help navigating it um so yeah I have my spiritual mentoring practice I teach electronic music meditation uh I often curate retreats um I work as a visiting practitioner right now I'm in the Maldives uh, a really beautiful wellness focused resort called Joali Being and um yeah that's that's probably enough for an intro otherwise I'll talk for the whole hour about <laughs> everything <laughs> I do and what I love <laughs> no that's that's really really interesting I think where I want to kind of head to first because it is a term which is kind of being banded around and you know what does it what what does it actually mean so you said trauma informed and it's really amazing that you've been mm. trained and trained with Dr. Gabamate I think he's an amazing person read loads of his stuff and watch loads of his videos and I'm always um, amazed by his content and approach and so on and so forth. So what does it, what does being trauma informed mean to you? Mm, yeah, such a great question because it is a buzzword and mm. I feel like, I don't know, almost kind of like don't like using it now, but want to <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's so important, but it's like every second person's banding it around. And it was interesting because I did a post on this recently, breaking it down. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, that's <laughs> what it actually means. So for me, it means really getting to the root cause of a lot of our thought patterns, subconscious beliefs, you know, all the things that are kind of happening in our life. Um, it could even be something like chronic anxiety or, or, you know, whatever issue someone's facing in the moment, rather than trying to band-aid fix it with like, oh, you just need to do 
breathe it away um, or just do some meditation, you know, first of all, we need to kind of understand why that thought, belief or pattern is there. And that's really, for me, the aim of the trauma-informed work. We kind of go back in time or um, also work with different parts of the human psyche because, you know, we're never just one person and really try to understand how that limiting thought or pattern came about because these things don't happen just to harm us. They're, they're initially, you know, something that is there to really help us out. Humans are incredible at adapting to any kind of environment. And, you know, often we are put under pressure in different ways. And I want to say that not from an, from an adult point of view, but from a kid point of view. So being put under pressure from a kid point of view is maybe not feeling you have enough attention or you lost your teddy or your best friend moved to another school. You know, we all face traumas. And then it's just like, how did that impact? Um, was I supported? Did it create a fear around losing friends or, or things that I love? You know, so it's interesting when we go back and we create an understanding. So that's what I mean by getting to the root cause of things. And from there, really compassionately um, working with that part of us that has suffered that trauma. Mm. So the trauma is not, just say it was losing a, a teddy bear. The trauma is not necessarily losing the teddy, but it's the impact we have inside then about fear of losing things mm. and how were we supported at the time to overcome that. And that trauma is then we we have this fear of like, oh, I might lose something and you know, that's a silly little example, but I think it kind of, you know, is enough to illustrate what we're working with here. And so I think that's really important in our spiritual journey because often sometimes we're very hard against parts of ourselves that we think don't fit in or that are holding us back. It's like, oh, I wish I was better at this or, you know, I wish I didn't have that self-limiting belief. And, you know, it's like what you resist persists. <laughs> And, and sometimes going in at a deeper level and, you know, obviously there's more to it than that, but that's just a bit of a gist. And hopefully that, does that make, does that make sense? Am I, am I talking? Yeah, no, I think, I think all of that makes sense. And, you know, I think what you, you also mentioned this earlier and I've seen this a lot of time and I'm sure we all do it to a degree now and again, but you used the word um, spiritual bypassing earlier, because I think that is very norm normal in sort of mm -hmm. at least at the beginning of people's spiritual journey and what would it be because I'm sort of I'm moving from trauma mm -hmm. to spiritual bypassing because they sort of mm -hmm. do do go together right and mm -hmm. let's say what is the spiritual bypassing version of losing the teddy although that I can that had let's say that did have an impact on you in afraid of losing things what is the mm -hmm. spiritual bypassing version of losing your teddy mm -hmm. Pretty much coming into this, yeah, like, okay, there's an idea of non-attachment as a spiritual um, virtue, let's mm. say, and that, like, I shouldn't be worried about missing the teddy because everything is impermanent in life and teddies come and go and people come and go and all this kind of thing, which is a beautiful sentiment that if there's a part of us that is grieving and mourning and we repress that and push that down, it then is there unconsciously and mm. so even if we're trying to consciously be like I'm okay about 
impermanence and things coming and going deeper down there's a part of us that's not okay <laughs> mm. and 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 this is what we often struggle with on our spiritual journey sometimes you know people get so frustrated because mentally they understand these concepts of like I shouldn't care and everything should be okay but there is another part of them that does and until that emotion is processed and then until it's understood it's going to stay locked in that person's system so we can try to spiritual bypass and it might look like you know, we're doing really well in inverted commas, but eventually it's always going to come back around. And, you know, a lot of people, especially my generation, really saw this because this whole idea of non-attachment and impermanence and not having to being equanimous, especially 10 years ago, that was really in, in the spiritual world. And so, you know, sometimes we're having something really tragic happen and we're like, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm not feeling anything. And really, for a lot of us, we were just really good at repressing. And that was actually a comfort zone for us because we'd been repressing our emotions for a really long time. And I have a lot of friends and myself included that when we snapped out of that, we're like, wow, I'm actually raging. I'm sitting on so much anger, you know, and I need to move through it. So, you know, we're only really cheating ourselves, I guess, with some of the spiritual bypassing stuff. And sometimes that's part of our journey, you know, with Mm. the spiritual bypassing, that we are really there with a spiritual belief and we, you know, maybe we think that we're 100% doing it and then you have that realisation further down the track that it's like, oh, wow, okay, there was some bypassing happen. So I think it's kind of normal. It's going to happen in people's lives, but the trauma-informed approach is basically the opposite where we, we go in and we kind of clean out what's there. I want to be really clear that it's not about then identifying with that fear and that self-limiting belief. Um, you know, that's where we use our spirituality to, to create metacognition and awareness so that these beliefs have less of a hold over us. Mm, yeah, because I, I was, I was going to ask, do, is there, so like, for example, impermanence, do you think there is a use for that belief? Like, is that is it useful? Can you do like, sort of the trauma work while still holding on to like the notion of everything is temporary you know of course because everything is temporary it's true Mm. what's also true is that I can grieve and be sad when things move out of my life Mm. and I I think that's what we want to hold it's it's definitely a razor's edge walking those two Mm -hmm. we don't want to stay wallowing in the grief but we don't want to just be in a permanence and feel like oh it's just water off a duck's back when something has affected us so this is where we balance the human and the being aspects Mm. the human is very fragile it has emotions it needs to process those emotions if we want to stay light you know you think about that egyptian process of weighing the heart against the feather Mm. to move into the afterworld because we want to stay light we want to keep processing things we don't want to stay heavy with emotion and this is the discernment and the dance everyone has to do on their spiritual path, giving mm. themselves time to to process emotions, but then coming back into that self-awareness, um, especially over our core wounds and our core beliefs, because, you know, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> we might, when we have our first aha spiritual epiphany, we think, oh my God, I'm enlightened and everything's going to be okay from now on. And then it's like, no, <laughs> those core wounds, they've been there for a while we just get better at relating with them that they have 
less of a hold over us. So I think with all of these things, it's always this dance of like, mm. oh, okay, I'm back here processing some emotions. Oh, yeah. Oh, and now I'm back here in this light of awareness and that has less control over me. Mm, yeah, I, I often talk about the notion of it's a dance, basically, that sort of back and forth. It's like dancing and sometimes you trip and that's OK. And then you're mm. back to like you're sort of you're back balancing and so on and so forth. So I love the notion of the dance. And I know that I suppose Gabor talks about it as being like psychic wounds, basically, which I think is mm. uh, really interesting because I think a lot of people when it comes to something such as mental health, it's like it's really easy to see that someone has a broken arm. You know, they're in a sling and mm. the arm is broken. But actually, um, although psychic wounds can easily turn up as behavior, which isn't healthy towards yourself, it's sometimes difficult to bring that back to actually it's a psychic wound, which is creating behavior, which isn't like helpful for you. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a more difficult one to talk to or sort of work on because it's harder to see with the naked eye, basically. Yeah, I mean, this is why sometimes I layer over astrology because I mm. will work with Chiron, you know, and there are a lot of different things, even Pluto in our charts. But but Chiron, the wounded healer, is often speaking to that wound that's never healed, mm. you know, and, and we help others. And sometimes that's where I feel like the language of astrology, because it's a psychological language, can mm-hmm. just help provide clues for our own inner personal reflection and and sometimes some really useful information can come from that and yeah understanding the transits because when a you know a chiron transit happens it's kind of like okay we're in for some more work let's get mm. ready mm, exactly so it's, it's 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 a gateway to create awareness basically and allowing people to safely bring forward those bring that forward you did a post I think it was Mm. yesterday which I really resonated with which was Mm. that you love astrology and human design but it can't replace meditation you know or at least Mm. they have Mm -hmm. to go together and I think I couldn't I couldn't agree with that more you know people come to me for readings and they come to me for healing and so on and so forth but I always say to people you also got to meditate basically and really connect with that sense of intuition and do that through your breath and your body and visualization and whatever else that you um whatever else that you do because i do think that you know sometimes people don't necessarily want to do although i don't think meditation is hard anymore i mean it's challenging sometimes but it's a joy mm. you know I, I i like doing it you know it's a, it's something i find really valuable and i'm sure you do too so what does your meditation practice look like um well it like it does change i really really like doing some breath work or some kind of movement before that's the type of person I am. I like to create energy for meditation. I think that's not spoken about enough. Mm. Um, we need, it takes energy for us to maintain awareness mm. in our inner space. And sometimes people are like, oh, I'm just thinking or I fall asleep. And so, yeah, I like doing some quite activating breath work or, or some kind of movement. And then I sit and I, I really love doing unguided meditation um I'm teaching my course about unguided meditation again from the end of September because this is where we really start to listen to our own inner senses and our own inner voice it, it's really not a one-size-fits-all and I'm just so passionate about this because meditation as a term has been really watered down mm. um I totally vibe with making it palatable for people and meeting them where they're at but I also want to preserve 
how amazing it is and that it really is like a whole lifestyle and it's an infinite journey. So sorry, going off track there, but it's like that's really important. It's really about sitting with what is and sitting in our inner space. Um, You know, it might offend some people, but I think a lot of meditations today are kind of like glorified pep talks for our ego and they're good. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need a bit of boost, but it's just, for me, it's just not meditation. It's Mm. like, let's call that like, um, you know, a a positive affirmation or a, a pep talk. But when we really go into meditation, you know, for me, we're not listening to anyone else's voice. We're really just going directly within and connecting with ourselves, really going beyond mindfulness. And I think this is so important for our self-empowerment. Um, we're just so constantly influenced by the outside world, mm. social media, and even in spirituality, all these memes on social media. And then our mind's like, oh, yeah, I've got this, you know, this is my belief. And I think it was the Master Osho. He's just like, that's not information. That's outformation. That's stuff that's come from outside you. It's just borrowed from someone else. You don't really know if that's true. The only thing you really know is what comes from within. Mm. And I'm really, really passionate about more of us having proper information to empower ourselves, especially, yeah, just in our current society, ideas are exchanged so quickly and people take things on and it's like <laughs> do you, you know that it, because an influencer said it mm-hmm. and and I think yeah our, our meditation should be almost like a cleansing of some of that and really seeing what's arising from inside of us I'll get I'll get off my soapbox now <laughs> no I think you're absolutely I think you're absolutely correct I like the phrase outformation and information and the information coming coming from within you know it's one of the first things that my spiritual teacher said to me when um I started working with her was Tor do your best to not read any spiritual books Don't read any books at all, because all of the information that you will ever need will come from within yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, it will, the answers, if you give it the time, the answers will come. You know, again, I think it's really useful to learn and have teachers and so on and so forth. But like the real information, if you sort of have the courage or resilience or whatever you want to call it, to just sit and be, the information will come, basically. I just had, what? two weeks off Instagram because I deleted it when I was in um, when I was in Norway and uh, it was great you know it's uh, I was just sort of reading fictional books and sort of being out and just doing and it's, it's lovely you know and I've now had to because I was gonna I wanted to post a reel you have to like do that via the phone basically so the Instagram is now back on my phone and you like the habit comes back in so quickly again um, and but yeah it's a lot of out formation and really what we need to do is listen to information what do you think gets in the way what is the primary reason excuse if you want to call it that um for people not getting into their meditation practice um i think kind of twofold one is that we're so conditioned to look externally Mm. for all of our needs to be met um and so it's like all those neural pathways are set for people to constantly be looking outside and like any habit it it takes time to turn it within um 
And then for a lot of people, they're sitting with uncomfortable thoughts and emotions and they might have created a coping mechanism very early on in life if feelings were too big for them to experience as a child that mm. I'm just going to stay in the mind. And, and a lot of people honestly disconnected kind of from the neck down as a coping mechanism because when we're little, if we have a big emotion, it sometimes does feel too big to feel. And especially if we weren't in an emotionally supportive environment. And this is how intelligent our body is. As I said before, it's amazing. Our bodies, will they will adapt all the time. And I think that's probably more common than we think. I, mm. I, I think with the advent of modern psychology and all of this trauma-informed talk, a lot of us are realizing that the cultural norm for a lot of us when we were growing up wasn't as healthy as we might have thought it was and I know that's difficult for some people to swallow and um you know it's not that our parents didn't love us but for many generations you know kids haven't really been brought up in always a, a, a safe calm environment where their emotions will listen to blah 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 you know so I think a lot of us um, might not realize how much we're kind of impacted like that. And that's why we're doing the work that we are now to create safety in our body. So I think mm -hmm. that's a huge block for meditation. I think it's massive. People um, either don't feel comfortable sitting with themselves and their own thoughts, or it, it's a coping mechanism that's deep and they don't even realize. I, I don't think it's because people are lazy. I don't think it's because people don't want to. This is where we talk about the subconscious things driving us mm. because consciously people want to do meditation. Mm, mm. It's just that, yeah, exactly. So if someone who's listening to this wanted to do, wanted to do some meditation right now, like if they wanted to pause the podcast and do some meditation, what would you recommend? What would the, what would the first thing that they maybe want to try out? Well, I would recommend that they more listen into themselves and what they need because it's also about dealing with current emotional states. Mm. If someone's really angry or sad or happy, I would, you know, recommend something different for each of them. Mm. And I think this is the exact problem that meditation is an entire um, lifestyle and we often cherry pick the, oh, I'm going to sit in silence for five minutes. Like that's the apex. <laughs> mm. And meditation as a lifestyle is all about how do I treat myself? How do I treat other people? Am I healthy in my body? You know, this is the the eight limbs of Patanjali for anyone that's into yoga and all of the limbs interconnect. But meditation was kind of like the eighth limb, but it, it connects to all of them. So, you know, for anyone that if they can't sit in meditation, it is looking at like, how do I speak to myself? How do I speak to other people? Am I constantly in disagreements? And so when I go to sit in meditation, I'm thinking about that person at work, or I should have said this, or I don't like that person, you know, it all starts there. And then what food am I eating in my body? Have I just had like four Kit Kats and my blood sugars all over the place? And I'm, my thinking's erratic. Um, you know, so I know that's like maybe not the answer you want to. But again, you know, that's kind of where it starts. We have to be realistic. If people are, and I know most of your listeners are probably leading very holistic lifestyles, but, you know, for the complete newbie and they're like, hey, I want to try meditation. 
this is why so many people fail and it's really sad. They just haven't been taught that meditation is a system. And that's why I was using the analogy of like, what systems really support me in my spiritual journey and my life? And this is because of an astrological placement in my chart. It, it set this inquiry off. And then I was like, yeah, astrology has really helped me and human designs really helped me. And I'm like, the system of meditation has what has really helped me. And that's how I see it. It's like this whole thing. So if someone wants to start meditation, well, they can come and do my course because I'll be explaining all of this. Not intended sales pitch, but really, yeah, like if they, if they don't know where to go, sometimes it's helpful to have a guide like you or me and say, where are you at in life? What are you experiencing? And getting some help. Mm. Um, you know, there's a million meditations on YouTube. You know, anyone can go and click on one of those. But if you're doing that and it's not working, then it, and it really is the best investment ever. I mean, I certainly don't need to tell you that, but. It, it's not it, it's literally life-changing <laughs> it is I, I couldn't agree more it's it is literally life-changing um you've used the phrase I mean I think you've kind of touched on it but let's crystallize it because you've said meditation as a lifestyle like mm. what is that what does that mean in behaviors mm-hmm. yeah it's I guess bringing this consciousness awareness or self-awareness of what we're doing into life um you know, is like, how am I speaking to myself? How am I speaking to other people? That needs a certain level of self-awareness or metacognition. I think it's when we're going around in a quote-unquote unconscious state and we're yelling at people and arguing, it's almost like we're a robot then and we do the thing and then later on we're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And this is why the the eight limbs of Patanjali all go around with each other because when we do meditation, it creates self-awareness. And before the robot part of us spews out something angry or volatile, we're like, okay, hang on, what would be the best way to respond? Mm. And then we often change what we say. And even the same then with food. Oh, I'm conscious about what I'm putting in my body. Am I going to eat something that's got all these E numbers and preservatives in it? Or no, actually, I want to put something nourishing in. And this all comes from this self-awareness that we gain through meditation. And then the more that we are speaking nicely to people and nourishing ourselves, the better our body is supported to be a conduit for meditation. So this is the lifestyle because it's all interconnected. And so meditation does come with its own kind of guidebook of spiritual psychology and Mm. nutrition and you know asana but that can be any kind of movement we associate it with yoga Mm -hmm. um yeah and and even being then it goes into being able to concentrate and decide where you want to shift your awareness is your awareness like a little puppy that's all over the place and you have Mm. no control over or is it like no i'm in the driving seat and i'm deciding i'm putting my awareness on on this particular task so mm. then that helps us in our work, in our relationships. We're more sensitive to other people. We can pick up on their energies. And this is, you know, the lifestyle could go like on and on and on and on. But this is, um, you know, the eight limbs of Patanjali, the eightfold path of Lord Buddha, the OG <laughs> psychology. And so many people have ripped this off in different ways and given it other names. But this is like the OG kind of like, you know, how to live 
mm. as a human 101. Mm. So it's awareness, isn't it? It's like bringing awareness into everything that you do, basically. Yeah. In a nutshell, yeah. it's about bringing awareness into your food, your relationships, even your finances, how you think, how you feel, how you move. It's just, it's about bringing that awareness, isn't it? I'm currently reading, I don't know if, if you've read any of these books, um, Awareness Through Movement by Moshe Waldenkrais. I can never say his last oh, name. Oh, no, that's a new one to me. Um, he's really interesting. It's a, I would, I would recommend it. It is not an, I wouldn't say. Can you it's hold like, it? I can't see it. Yeah. Ah, okay. Oh, so is it quite somatic based? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like super. I mean, yeah. I've, I've, I've recently become very curious about like somatic therapy and somatic experiencing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. with Peter Levine and stuff like that. So that's kind of where my mind Peter is. Peter is amazing. Um, yeah. I've also studied a little bit of embodied flow with Tara Judell. She's an amazing yoga teacher that also combines mm. somatic um internal family systems and right. stuff yeah it's juicy stuff I yeah think. i become awareness with movement yeah i become really really curious about it and sort of what it means and because i suppose a lot of my <clears throat> i mean i love my energy work but i think there is something missing around like mm. body and movement and awareness i'm sort of curious about yeah um, where that can where that can take me basically yeah which I'm yeah thinking. you can go so so deep and then um when I lived in Bali mm. uh we also used to have conscious contact dance mm. which is where we would be doing that awareness through movement but you do it blindfolded and then wow. you'd also be meeting other beings and sometimes you were just really like wow it's just all this is energy pulsing and mm-hmm. you know where is the boundary of this energy and sensing other energy and it's it's a beautiful way to play with awareness I think people forget that this can be very playful people get way too serious mm. um, about some of this stuff I think that's another paradox it's like being like a, a child but um like a mature child like how do you say they're like childlike but not silly we've got our consciousness awareness about us yeah being Norwegian I don't know if it's a Norwegian trait but I do have a (laughs) sense of like seriousness in my culture you know there is a sense Uh of so there's sometimes um at least I'm I am someone who's had to learn to lean more into playfulness basically because there's Mm -hmm. definitely a seriousness part of my streak probably has something Uh to do with the Aquarius in my moon as well I in my moon I oh, you've got an Aquarius moon uh-huh I mean I love it but yeah, it it's be... amazing you know sometimes yeah you feel a bit sometimes d- detached from the, the crowd and you want to be in your your serious so yeah how does it feel when you're back you said you were just back home for two weeks and being in that serious culture and this idea of awareness through movement that you're exploring yeah the trip definitely took a lot of awareness and just listening I try to do I try to when I'm there is I try to step into like a real space of like listening and just observing and obviously um, being present and having conversations, but it's also just trying to listen and observe without necessarily reacting too much because there's loads, there's still loads of unhealed trauma wounds mm. there. So it's sort of being aware when that's sort of being triggered and sort of listening to that and trying to find that balance between like keeping some of my practices going whilst I'm there like the sort of exercise and movement practices because I think that sort of gives me an opportunity to return to myself basically because I think that's a lot of what it does and I think you were touching on that earlier right it's that when we're out into the world we're constantly being influenced 
and then we need to have these practices of like returning to self basically so it's a it is like we were saying in our email exchange you know visiting our family is most certainly the most challenging spiritual um <laughs> lesson there lesson there is especially i mean not to blow my own, blow my own trumpet but when you are someone who's like been on a bit of like a journey and then you go back into your family and nobody else has been on that journey it can be quite uh i'm gonna use the word challenging mm. yeah. yeah so even trying to be playful in a serious culture <laughs> yeah trying to be playful in a serious culture is not easy and you so easily fall into like old tropes it's so easy when you have that around you and i think you just have to be aware that you've fallen into an old trope. You know, it's like I do become a child again when I visit my father because he cooks all the food and like does all the cleaning. And it, it, that's also that's kind of nice. You know, I just want to be a child. Um, So there's something about it, which is, yeah, it's it is a fascinating lesson, basically. Yeah, it is a it is a fascinating lesson. One of the things that you talk about a lot um, is sobriety. I have mm-hmm. I mean, I accidentally had a zip sip of a cider like maybe a year ago but before that it was probably five years ago since I've had any any forms of substances and uh and I mean it's interesting I've actually been teetotal in theory since I was like 23 so Mm -hmm. it's nearly been 10 years but I had six months of drinking five months of drinking because I started dating someone who was drinking alcohol and Mm -hmm. towards the end as a way to survive the relationship I also started drinking basically it's it's a tragic comedy it's it's a comedy right and then the moment the relationship came to an end I then stopped drinking and I was like that was not me why was I doing that obviously the relationship Mm. was doomed but um did it affect your playfulness the drinking uh, and not drinking no I can go out dancing I can go out have fun I do not need alcohol to do that basically yeah no not at all I I'm too confident in myself to be able to be playful without having a drink and I think that's and you're a Leo as well I know you're a Leo but I'm (laughs) I'm a Leo um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you, you have touched on something though which I think is too true is that I think a lot of people need a drink think they need to have a drink to have fun exactly basically. yeah yeah, yeah. Have, have you and we were just and we were just talking about the playfulness of yeah. you know returning playfulness as a part of our spiritual journey yeah um, <clears throat> I think it's one of the number one almost rebuttals apart from peer pressure yeah that people have a fear that they're not going to have fun yeah. Or, or be fun. And, you know, I really see this stemming from um, definitely the culture I grew up in Australia and I think is very heavily mirrored in the UK is that sometimes, oh, and even going back to my point before, sometimes we didn't have the happiest of childhoods in different mm. ways or we weren't emotionally supported and nourished, not because our parents didn't want to, but because it's just a different time. Let's just mm. lay it that way. And sometimes when we were having our first tastes of alcohol or substances or whatever, it was just like, wow, I don't have to feel all those feelings anymore. Mm. And, oh, other people really like me because all of a sudden I become funny Mm. and I've had a drink. So these are big, big things also, you know, trauma-informed things that impact our drinking and how we feel when we don't drink at times and so I I think you know I'm not dogmatic and saying no one should ever drink you know if you've got a beautiful 
organic whining you enjoy that with dinner absolutely but you know I've really been here to shine light on the deeply (laughs) ingrained unhealthy habits hidden and and even glamorized in our drinking culture like Mm. you know so glamorous in the movie to you know oh I smashed back all these martinis after a hard day and it's like oh wow she's so cool and hardcore Mm. and that's just been a big 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 part of our society for so long and um I think now a lot of people hide behind alcohol because they're shy they're not they have social anxiety and you know the trauma-informed thing is like well you know what's underneath that social anxiety let's have a look at that rather than masking it with alcohol Mm. or the you know I don't know how to have fun oh well when did you stop having fun what you know what was the event that that happened there that you don't feel comfortable having fun did did someone shame you for having fun or did something bad happen when you tried to have fun? You know, no one's really asking these questions. Mm. And I'm just trying to create more healthy conversations around that, not to shame drinking, but to really have a look under the bonnet of what's driving a lot of people's choices to drink and over often over drink or binge drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's really, really interesting. Are you finding that, clients are coming to you to talk about their sobriety like is that something that people are interested in yes 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 I mean this is something I've been doing for a while I work with a lot of people in the music industry specifically um some very well known and then more recently I've had a lot of women come and often it's not like they have a big drinking problem but they're starting to realize a lot of a lot of their relationships and friendships are either based on drinking they're finding it's impacting their health and they're really wanting help navigating mm. coming out of it. I mean, I, I did do a, another post, but I did do a post on this saying, you know, it's not a trend like go to a sound bath or eat more broccoli. The, the stopping drinking is very loaded for a lot of people because it's a massive lifestyle change. We don't realize mm. it. But when we stop drinking, if all of our friends are drinking, it can bring up a lot of stuff um of feeling like left out or peer pressure or you know we can be in an in-between space like snake shedding skin until we found new people and I'm not saying that we need to leave all our friends behind if we stop drinking but I think naturally we will want to gravitate towards more like-minded people who Mm -hmm. understand our reasons and are maybe also doing inner work um also when we stop drinking a lot of our friends that do drink can be triggered in mm-hmm. many ways. And it's important for us to be able to handle that in a compassionate, conscious conversation way. Cause I think a lot of people in the past, the friendships just blown up. And then mm. years later, they're like, I really miss that friend. Mm. And, and, you know, so this is just, and then it's approaching even sexuality. Mm-hmm. What does my sex life look like if I haven't had loads of drinks to lose my inhibitions? Mm. Um, How do I deal with myself after a hard day or if a lot of emotions come up and my go-to has always been drinking Mm. and my brain is flooded with memories coated in dopamine that that's my coping mechanism. You know, it's more than just making a a decision in the front of our brain, I'm not going to drink. It's it's very, very deep. And so I support people in all of these different ways. Um, So basically with this message, I just want also people to know that you know even if all of your friends are giving up drinking and you've decided you want to do that as well and there's aspects of you struggling 
that that's normal. You're not alone. Um, this is just part of your inner journey and there are people out there that can support you and do just see it as part of your your inner journey and be curious about what's coming up because I think when it is a trend and you feel like, oh, everyone else can do it and I'm really struggling, that can be really isolating um, and that that's a, a real danger. And that's what mm. I mean about this being different to a trend like let's all go to a sound bath or let's all eat more broccoli. Um, it, yeah, it, it's quite nuanced. It is quite nuanced and it is quite deep, isn't it? You've touched on some really, really deep stuff there around sort of the evening and having the drink and the thoughts flooding because, yeah, it's uh, the not drinking is is deep stuff. I mean, when I sort of went teetotal the first time um, when I was 23, um, at the time, I actually I actually uh, deleted all my friends at the time, basically. I just had to, it wasn't the healthiest way to have done it, um, but I was 23 and very still young, basically, and I... Yeah, I just sort of left everybody behind and sort of ghosted almost all of my mm-hmm. friends because I was just like, I think right now, mm-hmm. I just can't, I, I don't have the strength, basically. I mean, now I have the strength, um, but and now I can go out and whatever and dance and be with friends and just be silly uh, without drinking. But yeah, at the time, it was, yeah, like I said, it was probably wasn't the healthiest way, but it was what I needed to do at the time just to have that clean break, basically. Um, and it's hard. It's interesting. I just had someone who's at the beginning of the spiritual journey and she's like, I don't want to drink anymore. And I'm finding all of these things difficult because my friends are doing, so it's, yeah, I've, I've just yeah. sort of had a conversation with someone about that. And it's, I do wonder if it is sometimes a consequence of at least going on a bit of a spiritual journey. So you're beginning to become, yeah, it's the awareness of what you put into your body. Right. Yeah. And you know, alcohol is the thing that makes us the most unconscious. Yeah. And this is why, I mean, it's obvious people are like, I'm only going to have two drinks. And you get unconscious after the first drink and definitely after the second one. And then it's like, yeah. And they're like, I don't know why I don't have a stop button. And I'm like, because you're having a substance that's making you unconscious Mm. and less in control. Mm. That's why there's no stop button. And it's funny that that has been the legal substance in our culture for for such a long time. Mm. Um, But I think, you know, that's why people struggle with it so much and and yeah in spirituality we're generally trying to go the other way increasing our awareness as you said rather than the the unawareness state when it's taken you know in big quantities that's definitely the impact of alcohol Mm. upon us um you know one of my spiritual teachers he used to have a glass red wine every night and he smoked a cigar (laughs) (laughs) and that he used to do it as a meditation yeah. So I'm also here, you know, spirituality is a huge paradox. Anyone who's just starting their journey, I'm sorry, but it deeper you go, the more paradoxical it gets. And this is where we find our own path. Yeah. Um, and I think there were even some traditions where as an initiation, they used to make some of the, the monks get drunk at one point and see how they much they could keep their awareness. It was like a test. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really interesting and I mean I often yeah. tell this story of my grand- I'm, I'm not recommending that it was like a it was like a one-off test they used to do because they recognized its unconscious effects on us so yeah. it's like yeah. yeah we especially in the beginning um we it is helpful not to be going out and binge drinking and you know trying to meditate the next day with a anxiety and all of that it's definitely gonna make life a little bit harder 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I often tell the story of my grandmother, right? I loved my grandmother to bits. She was one of the most unhealthy people that I know, but she was an amazing medium. I mean, she was the most, one of the most incredible clairvoyant mediums I've ever met. She loved unhealthy food. She loved a glass of wine, but she could still channel like nobody's business. So it's a, it is a really, really interesting thing around, especially around when it comes to like mediumship and channeling and so on and so forth. I do mm. think it has some impact on you, what you eat and your ability to do so. At least I find that with myself. Um, but with her, had no made no difference, basically, which I thought was yeah, uh, very uh, interesting. I think everyone has different um, energies and inner strengths and capabilities. Yeah. And it's really important for us to realise that and, again, come into our intuition because yeah. it would be easy for someone to be like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Mm. And it's like... No, she had a really special gift. Mm. And in spirituality, we need to know our personal limitations. Mm -hmm. Maybe someone can go out and, I don't know, have a couple of drinks or whatever, and maybe we can't, you know, Mm. and it really is about knowing what our limitations are. Maybe we can eat more junk food than our friends can and we never get fat, you know. Mm. So this is also the, the, it's so important, this individuality aspect because Mm. especially as spirituality becomes a trend yeah it's very normal as humans that we're going to look to what everyone else does and try to mirror that some in some way and we really just need to be like more like what what's working out for me and what feels good for me and what are my limitations and what can I get away with yeah yeah it's always the return to self isn't it which comes through the meditation basically it's like returning to yourself your values your needs and what works for you and having a confidence to like honor that basically. Um, so to start bringing things to a close, is there any wise words that you'd like to depart everybody with? <laughs> oh, wow. That's like a big statement. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, I'll just go, it's really for me, it's all just all about this inner, inner connection, the information mm. um, in this world where we're going into like AI and Mm. machines doing things for us and thinking for us, please, everyone, let's keep our inner connection so strong. It's going to be the most, most valuable thing. And the more of us that have it, the better. I think right now, you know, AI can write you a meditation and do Mm -hmm. this and do that. It's just like, yeah, just really value your your inner connection. The more that you can spend time inwards, the less pull social media and everything else actually has on you. Just really strengthen that inner muscle. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Where can people find you online, Belinda? Um, my website is belindamatwali.com. So it's Great. B-E-L-I-N-D-A-M-A-T-W-A-L-I. Um, and it's the same on Instagram. I have a hyphen between the names. Brilliant. Thank you so much. This was a really, really interesting and rich conversation. And I thoroughly enjoy that. Thank you. Yeah, it's always so nice chatting with you, Tor. Um, yeah, it's been really fun. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.